After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And then we're going to skip down. We're going to look at King Herod on Christmas Eve. Uh, we're going to skip down to verse 9. After they had heard the king, King Herod, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, and on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's word. Well, we're in a series as we're leading up to Christmas. This is uh, known as the Advent season. And we're in a series, sermon series called Peace on Earth. And today I want to talk to you, if I could, about the, the human search for peace. And I want to make that specific because I want to talk to you about your search for peace. Now, what we're doing in this series is we're looking at the marginal characters in the Christmas story. Now, if you don't know who the marginal characters in the Christmas story are, I'm not, I'm not referencing the animals. Um, I'm not referencing Will Ferrell or Chevy Chase, for those of you who think that somehow has something to do with Christmas. Um, we're talking about the shepherds last week, and today we're going to talk about the wise men, and then on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about Herod. And the reason that I, I felt it made sense to focus in on these kind of marginal characters of the Christmas story is that this has been a year, hasn't it, or two years, feels like forever, that we've all been in one way or another on the margins, and maybe there's never been a moment that we've needed peace more. We've kind of been in the middle. I'm going to call them the, th- the three Ps, the pandemic, uh, political hate, and polarization racially. I, mean, I, know, I, know, I know I horn, shoehorned those into the Ps, but the solution that we're going to talk about today is also starts with the letter P, peace. Now, uh, the title of the message today is Peace When You're Searching, and I just want to let you know that if you are a person and you are searching, you're, you're, you're like the girl who sat down behind the desk and said, no, wait a second, time out. What is this all about? I just want to let you know something uh, that to search is, is to be a human being. <laughs> to be a human being is to search. You're, we all of us are on the journey. We're trying to figure out, how, how do I access meaning again? How do I figure out purpose? Where is hope again? How do I get to peace? What I'm asking us to do today is to go for the search beneath the search. One of the guys who was a mentor to me in leadership and then in ministry, his name was, uh, was Dave. And Dave, uh, not Dave Curry, for those of you who know it, who I love and adore, um, Dave Curtis was his name. And he, he said to me one time, I was, I was wrestling with this issue and this person was coming to me with this you know, issue and I didn't know what to do about it. And, and he said, you know, you got to always remember that the issue is never the issue. 
with us as human beings, there's always the issue that we say is going on on the surface right here. Uh, but what is really going on is that there's something underneath the surface. And that's what I want to talk to you about today is I want to talk to you about what's underneath the surface. Because most of us, we like to stay. It's, it's a little safer to stay up here on the surface. And, and oftentimes we don't recognize the real issue that's underneath the surface. And so we're going to go underneath the surface uh, today and, and explore just a little bit. The search, but I just want you to know: it's if you're searching and you're wrestling, that's part of what it means to be human. Uh, you may not know this, uh, but Amazon is keeping track of everything that you do. So are all the so are all the social media companies, and um, Amazon uh, is able to because people now read on things like Kindles and their phones. They can they can track what uh, people highlight when you read a Kindle. I don't know if you have one of those or you read it on your uh, your, uh, your your iPad or whatever it might be. Um, you maybe highlight a passage, and you might be surprised to find that the most highlighted passage in a book that Amazon has a record of is a passage from The Hunger Games. And here's I'm going to read the passage to you, but I think it speaks to the search that that we're wrestling with, especially at Christmas. Uh, here's here's the passage. Because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. I, I, Amazon, people have read that and they've gone, oh man, that is true to the human experience. Now, you might also be interested to know that the most highlighted uh, verse in the Bible, it ties into this, and this is actually from Philippians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul wrote these letters to these churches. One was in the city of Philippi. It's called the book of Philippians. And I'll, I'll put it on the screen for you. This is the most highlighted verse in the Bible. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And here's, here's the thing, I think the reason people, people highlight it. And the peace of God will transcend all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I just want you to know that the Christmas story is about your seeking, and it answers the cries of the human heart. So here's what I'd like to do. I just want to give you a roadmap about where we're going to go. I want to just get some background about who these wise men are. I think we think we know who they are. Um, and then ask, you know, what can we learn from their search and then how does the message of Christmas fulfill the, the longings of the human heart? Who are these people? What can we learn? How does the message of Christmas fulfill the longing of the human heart? Let me just give you some background. The text says in Matthew that these were magi from the east. Now, I, I know you, you probably think that there were three magi because you maybe sang a song about it in elementary school. And uh, we, the text actually doesn't say how many magi there were. Uh, we just know that there were these men from the east. Now, most scholars who've studied this, the Christmas story is actually a story of something that happened. It's not a made-up story. The scholars who've studied this uh, said that these were, um, it's actually where we get the root word magic. These were um, wise men. They were a, a priestly class from the Babylonian empire. And so they made this long journey uh, to come to Jerusalem from the east, a long ways away. And they were people who read the stars. Now, I know if you grew up in church, you're like, wait a second, uh, wait, what? We don't do that. Uh, but here's what the text says. He says, they, they came and they said, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star. Now, that's the word. You're familiar with it because you live in Kansas. Uh, ad astra, you know, to the stars. It's the word there. That's the word. Astra. That they, we saw the star and we have come uh, to worship him. Now, you got to understand, these are people who read 
The stars, if you were to trace back uh, astrology and, and astronomy, both, you would find that the origins of it go all the way back to the Babylonian Empire and these people who were in this group, this class of people, this educated class of people known as the Magi. But here's the question. When someone, even today, is trying to find the message in the stars, say you're the person who reads the daily horoscope, what is that person doing today and what were they doing in that day? Well, they were doing what you and I are doing as human beings. It's, it's a way to search. We're trying to figure out. We're looking for, you're, if you're doing that, you're looking for a message. You're looking for a sign. Uh, you want some sort of guidance. You want some sort of insight into your life. You maybe want to know how to manipulate circumstances. Uh, but I, I think anybody who does that, I'm going to lump everybody who searches in that way, both the Magi and then people today, I'm going to lump them into a category I think you're going to recognize. And I'm just going to call that a spiritual person. Now, I know it's kind of popular today to say, you know, I'm, I'm spiritual and I'm, I'm not religious. But my, my definition for that as a Christian pastor is to say someone who's spiritual, that's just someone who is searching. Now, I don't know if you pay attention to this. I do as a, as a Christian pastor. You know, I, I pay attention to the statistics that talk about our country and our, uh, where we are. And about 90% of people in our country say, yeah, I believe there's some higher power. I believe there's a God. There, these are people who say, you know, I know when I look around the world that, and I see everything that's here and I feel what's in my own heart and I see the interactions with other people. When I notice all of that, I have to come to the conclusion that there is something more. There's something bigger. I, there, there's got to be something there, isn't there? Now, I, I need to pause right here for just a second because there's a, a message that's been sent um, about how you discover the truth. And, and I, I, it's kind of an apology that I need to make in a way. I, I'm not saying to you um, that especially if you're a person who's seeking and you know Christianity is not your, not your thing and you're like, what is this? I just want you to know that science, uh, we've, we've said as Christian people sometimes, we've said that science is in, invalid. And there's been this weird thing that Christians have done about science, especially during the pandemic. And I got to tell you, I'm just really sorry that we taught you that science couldn't be trusted. We, we really, frankly, were wrong. If you trace back the scientific method and where it started, it started with people like Thomas Aquinas, a, a Christian theologian in the, in the 12th century, with Francis Bacon, Rene Descartes, uh, Isaac Newton. These were all people who would say they were per- people of faith, and they looked around at the world, and they said, look at how the world is ordered, and you can see how the planets go, and the stars are here, and you, you, you get a sense that there's an order to the world. And they said, if God made this world, then we ought to explore this world and understand all of the component parts. And that's really the, the genesis of what we would call today the scientific method. And in fact, you could even go to someone like Francis Collins, who's the, just retired as the National Institutes of Health director, and I'm not trying to make a political statement here, I'm just telling you his story. Um, he's, a, he's a devout follower of Jesus Christ, um, but he, he always, he hasn't always been. He started out, um, went to, got a great education, uh, was on a fast track to be somebody, and he was an atheist. 
He had no use for God. He thought people who uh, believed in God were relying on a crutch. And he said, you know, I just, I just can't even understand why anyone of any, with any brain would ever believe that a God exists. And he was in the hospital one time, and um, he was trying to treat a patient. And the, and the woman was obviously a Christian, and, and, and she was telling him about how she was relying on God. And he was kind of rolling his eyes. And, and then she, he said, she asked a, a question of me, and I didn't know what to do with the question. Because she said, well, doctor... What do you believe? And he realized, he said, I, I've, was, I grew up in the scientific method that you understand something by, uh, by analysis, and, and, and I, I became a scientist as a result of that, but I'd never applied the same thing to belief. And so that led him down a path, and he, went, he applied the scientific method to his understanding of faith, and the end result is that he became a follower of Jesus. Now, I, I understand what, what Christians have tried to say when they're like, hey, listen, science is invalid. What, what they're really trying to say is we shouldn't worship science, but I just want to tell you that you can trust something without worshiping it. Uh, so I, I hope you trust in science. You, you, you do that if you're married, right? Hopefully, you are trusting someone without worshiping them. Like I, I, you know, My wife is looking at me, and she's like, I trust you, but I don't worship you. You're not that great. <laughs> You have your limits, and science is that way too. But my point being, the seeker wins, though. Even even when you were in this vein of you know trying to understand how the world works, and the seeker wins. In our culture, people look around and we go, "That just I understand that science explains some things and says something about the material world, but but there has to be more." And I would argue, we'll put it on the screen for you, that the hunger for more always beats the idea that this is just material. Always. It's always there. It's in the heart. Blaise Pascal, famous philosopher, he said, the heart has reasons which reasons n- n- reason knows nothing of. There's this hunger in us we don't know what to do with. And, and the Magi represent that hunger. They were people who were seeking the truth. And I would put them in that category of persons who are spiritual but not religious, the people who say the universe is talking to them. Uh, if they were here today, Oprah would have found them and interviewed them. So they, they read the stars. And then they were also very wealthy. So verse 3 says that when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Again, we're going to talk about Herod on Christmas Eve and talk about how you find peace when the world is shaking um, on Friday night. Hope you'll be a part of that. But the reason he was disturbed is, again, this, these were not three men who rode in on a camel. These were very wealthy men. These were very educated men. They made a, a long, long journey, and they would have traveled with an entourage, probably a military entourage. You, you don't roll into a city without the king of that city in that day knowing about the fact that you rolled into the city. They likely had a letter from their emperor, a letter of introduction. They definitely had money. And, and here's what they had done. They were on a search but they took their resources and put their resources in service of their search. And I, I got to tell you, the Magi are a stand-in in the story for anyone who is searching. Maybe that's you. Now, what do we learn from that? All stories offer you know, insight. All great stories offer insight. And I'm talking specifically here about um, stories that have actually happened. One of my favorite books is a book called Into Thin Air. It chronicles in the, the 1990s the climb up Mount Everest, and there was a tragic season where many people lost their life. 
trying to ascend Mount Everest. And it's fascinating, fascinating books. Very, very well written. It reads like a, a novel. Uh, but there's all these insights about leadership and about risk and challenge. One of my, one of my all-time favorite books and one of my other all-time favorite books is uh, it's by a man by the name of Viktor Frankl who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. He was in the Nazi concentration camps, and uh, he, he discovered, he was a psychologist, and he was, he was a, a believer in God. He was a Jewish man, and, and so he's, he's struggling to understand, and out of that experience, he wrote this book, Man's Search for Meaning, because all great stories offer some sort of insight, and this is, this is one of the great, the Christmas story is one of the great stories, if not the greatest story, and, and what it tells us is it tells us about um, three things uh, this morning, about people about ourselves, and about God. Now, I, to me, that's kind of the three legs of the stool of wisdom. If you, if you know people, and you know yourself, and you know God, you begin to live what I would call a wise life. So what, what do we learn about people? Now, I, I want you to kind of file this under generic pastoral advice, but here it is, is that if you know people, you can understand life better. Uh, if you know people, what, what moves them and motivates them and drives them, if you just kind of understand how people tend to operate, you can better serve people. Um, life is made up of people. Business is made up of people. Relationships. All of these things require people. And so if you know people better, you have the ability to make your life better. And, and then you have something that you can offer to people. And so here's what I think that the, the Magi taking this journey tells us about people. It's one, one thing, and then we're going to move on to what it tells us about us. Here it is. People will travel for hope and peace. <laughs> yeah? If they know at the end of the journey that there's hope, if they know that at the end of the journey there's, there's peace, they'll make the journey. You'll make the journey if you know at the end of the journey there is hope and there is peace. And listen, you do not know a person who doesn't want hope and encouragement. You don't know anybody like that, I promise you. Let me, let me put that in the positive for you. Uh, everyone you know wants hope and encouragement and peace, and they're willing to make a journey if at the end of it they'll get those things. Now, there are, I think, two cultural phenomena going on right now that I think illustrate this in a really powerful way. One, they're calling this the great resignation. Those of you that are in leadership, you've, I'm sure, read about this. But what they're saying is in the, in the face of you being able to work from home and all kinds of things being exposed politically in all kinds of ways, that this is the moment when many, many people are resigning from their jobs and many people are resigning from their jobs with nothing else on the line. And so they're calling this the great resignation. I, I think what it points to um, is that people are they're doing it because of hope. They're like, I could do better than what I was doing right now, and I will make a journey. I will even uh, make a journey of risk. I will risk my present moment for a better future. And it illustrates the point. People will travel if hope and peace are at the end of the journey. And then kind of in the church world, there's this, uh, this, uh, this topic that keeps bubbling up to the surface um, around the church, and, and people are using the word deconstruction, that people are, are wrestling with their faith, and they're trying to see if uh, what they've understood about their faith and what they've understood about the church, it's true and faithful to the way of Jesus in the world. And, and many people are answering that question, and they're going, no, it's not, and I don't, I'm not sure 
that, that makes me question myself, and it makes me question God, and it makes me question where I'm headed. And so there's this, this sense of I'm going to take apart what I was given, and I want to see what's really there. But I, I really think, and I've talked to some of those folks who are going through that, I really think what's behind all of that is, is hope. Like I'm willing to do some very uncomfortable things because I hope that in the end I can find a way to be more faithful to the way of Jesus. And people will go on a journey if there's hope and peace at the end. Uh, what do we learn about ourselves from, from this story of the Magi? Well, I, I, again, I wanted to kind of say this to you. The, the fact that you are searching, here's the first thing, the fact that you are searching, that just means that you're alive. To be human is, is to be searching. And sometimes when you're looking and you kind of get this sense of shame, like, well, I'm, if I had it all together, I wouldn't be going through this search. No, no, that's just part of what it means to be alive. The fact that you're searching means that you're alive. Now, I, I, I need you to know this, that sometimes um, Christianity gets painted in this way, and I don't think this is correct at all. Christianity gets painted as uh, people who are right, telling people who are wrong how they're wrong and what to do. So in other words, it's the superiors speaking to the inferiors and saying, well, if you just knew what I knew, you would be a bear with me. And I want to tell you that's not, that's not what Christianity is. I, I, some people may express it that way. That's not, that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is uh, it's people who knew they were on a search and then they found something. And in their joy, they want other people to know what they found. They just recognize that they too have been a seeker and they found something. And that, that everything good in their life came from that search that God put into them. And so the Magi represent what you and I do. We, we go through life and we are looking for a sign and there are things in your life that are shining out to you like a star. Something has appeared in the night sky of your life and, and here's our problem is that often we just don't stop long enough and go deep enough to what that thing is pointing to. Um, here's how Viktor Frankl said it in, his, in Man's Search for Meaning. He said, uh, when a person can't find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. <laughs> so this search tells us something about us as human beings. The, the, the famous philosopher Socrates, he said, uh, he said to know yourself. I go back to my friend Dave who told me that the issue is never the issue. It's just that we often hide the issue from ourselves. So the, the, the question for you to ask as you're searching is, okay, well, how well do I know my own heart? Uh, do you know what you want out of life? You might be surprised to know that one of the m uh, most frequent questions that Jesus would ask people when you met them sounds counterintuitive. So you're going to hear me ask the question. You go, no, Jesus didn't ask that. Yeah, you did. Go read the Gospels. He would meet someone in, in a very deep state of need, and it would seem obvious, and Jesus would say, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? Jesus is asking. Do you know what you actually love? Do you know what's actually motivating you? Jesus had this encounter, this, uh, he's called in the Gospels the rich young ruler, this young man who's from a, uh, he's got an education, he's got money. He comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, you're the teacher. I, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Like, how, do I, how do I get what you have? And Jesus looks at him and he, he knows where he's coming from. And he says, now listen, you know, keep all the commandments. 
And Jesus knew what this young man was going to say. He said, well, I, I've kept all the commandments. You know, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. You know, I've kept those my entire life. And then Jesus disrupts him because the, the young man didn't know what he actually loved. And he said to him, okay, well, I'll tell you what. You lack one thing. What's that, Jesus? Tell me the one thing. Okay, got my pen. I got it. Let me open my notes on my phone, and I'm going to take this down. Jesus said, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Now, the young man had a moment of insight because he realized what he really loved. Because the, the gospel writers say that he walked away sad. <laughs> like, I, I can't do that. Do you know what you love? Do you know what you want? That's part of the search. Now, I, I got to tell you, if there's, if there's a search, then there has to be a journey. The Magi uh, came from the east. This was about 900 miles. Maybe in your brain, when you think about the Magi coming to meet Jesus, you, you think about like you taking a trip from Wichita to Strong City to go see the Flint Hills, um, you know, hour and a half away. And you think, ah, you know, I could get there maybe in a day. It'd be a long walk or maybe two days, you know, something like that, you know. And you think they were taking selfies and posting it to in- Instagram on the way along. I, I don't know how you think about that. But it was really a journey of about 900 miles. So it'd be something like, this is a little bit further, it'd be, like, it'd be something like going from Wichita to just short of Las Vegas, on foot, by animal. And the reason they undertook the journey is because their search called for it. So if you feel this sense of searching, then there also has to be a journey. You've got to figure out like, it's worth going on the journey if you feel the sense of searching. But then here's, here's the third thing that it points to is that your desires actually point you to something. Um, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers, he was also an atheist, professor at Oxford University, did the same thing that Francis Collins did, studied the evidence, became a Christian, one of the large lights in the 20th century, wrote a lot of books. But this is, this is what he said. He realized that our desires are actually pointing us to something. And this is what he said. I'm going to read you from one of his books. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Now, the Magi, understand, they were a priestly class in their religion. I mean, nobody knew more than they did. Nobody had more education than they did. Nobody had more insight than they did. And they were dissatisfied. They saw something and and they said, this desire has to point to something. And, And they were dissatisfied with what they found in their religion. And so they went on this journey. Now, they were part of what's known as Zoroastrianism. If you're a, like the student of these kinds of things, Zoroastrianism was a monotheistic religion, one God, and they worshiped the one God, and the, the, the one God's name was Ahura Mazda. If you drive a Mazda, that's who it's named after, right? You're just like, I drive the wise men's car. It's amazing. I don't, I don't know if you think about it that way. But here's what they were doing. They recognized that their desires pointed to something and they weren't finding fulfillment in their current mode of operation. Maybe that you, re- you can resonate with that. 
And they looked and they looked and they looked and they looked, you know, looked into the stars and what's your sign and read their daily horoscope and they just didn't find anything. But they realized, but our desire has to point to something. So we went on this long journey and here we are. And so verse two says it this way. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Our desire is pointing us to something. And they realized that all of their previous learning pointed them to something. And so when they got to that something, to that someone, to that baby, they bowed and they worshiped. The word literally means they bowed down like you would bow down to a deity. Our desires point to something. So we learned some things about other people. We learned some things about ourselves. And then we learned some things about God, most importantly. Two things. Um, Here's the first thing is that God wants you to have peace. I don't know how much peace you have in your life right now, but God wants you to have peace. This was, we looked at it last week in Luke chapter 2. This is the announcement of the angels to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom God's favor rests. And this is a, you got to understand, this is a a coherent narrative. In Luke 2, you're reading the very beginning of uh, the message of Jesus and Jesus coming into the world and being born to Mary and Joseph. And then in Matthew 2, you're reading a little bit later in the story, but it's a a coherent narrative. And and the the Magi represent a couple of things. They they represent both how far-reaching God's peace is and who God wants to have it. Just think with me for a second about the Magi. They, they came from a different place. I don't know if you grew up uh, in the city. I don't know where you grew up. I don't know if you grew up in the country. Um, I, I have a lot of relatives that, that are from the country. And when I say the country, like the country, country. And uh, I, I know something about them because I spent a lot of time with my relatives in the country. Is that people that are from the country are suspicious of people from the city. It's like... Well, I don't know about them city folk. I don't know. It's, they're from a different place. And because they're from a different place, they're viewed with suspicion. So the Magi are from a different place. Uh, the Magi are from a different culture. And different cultures have different values. I was with our middle son at the mall uh, this last week. Had to get some tennis shoes because he's outgrowing his tennis shoes. And so we're at the mall and we're getting tennis shoes. And, and I'm walking through the mall and I, I started to make a, a realization. I realized um, that I'm, you know, I'm a white male. I think that's obvious by looking at me. Um, I realized I, I'm in the minority here. I heard at least three different languages and there was inside of me this kind of unsettled thing like, wait, 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 are these people like me? They're from, they're from a different culture. Do they value the things that I value? Do they think the things are important that I think are important? I mean, what, that was the Magi. They were from a, a, different, a different culture. And they had an entirely different religion. And if you have an entirely different religion, I mean, who knows what the values are from that entirely different religion? And, and very honestly, if you know the history of the people of Israel, if you go all the way back into the Old Testament, you would know that the Babylonian Empire were actually one of the empires that came and took the people of God and put them into exile and took them to Babylon. You could read about that in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and the fiery furnace. They were carted off to Babylon. So these are actually God's enemies. <laughs> these are the enemies of uh, the people of God. But the Magi, again, they are a, they're a sign that God wants you to have peace, that God's peace is for the world. So let me, let me translate that for you. You're, God's peace is for your enemies. 
God's peace is for people not like you, that don't have your values, that don't share, don't share the, the, the outlook of, on the world that you have. God's peace is for people who don't see the world that, the way that you do. And, and then I got to ask you just the basic question, like, are you part of the world? <laughs> and if you are, then God's peace is for you. It's not just for those people. It's actually for you. The Magi demonstrate that. God's peace is, God wants you to have peace. I want you to hear how Jesus talked about peace. Um, one of the ways he said this, John 14, 27, he's talking to his disciples and he says, listen, peace I'm going to leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. When Jesus appears to his disciples after his resurrection, do you know the first word that he speaks to them? Peace. When the Apostle Paul, when he writes all of his letters, he traveled around with the message of Jesus and started congregations and and churches all around the Mediterranean world, and he wrote them letters back that we have in the New Testament. And when he wrote all of his letters, do you know what his opening words were always? Grace to you and peace. God's peace is for you. So God wants you to have peace, the Magi illustrate that but then this is the second thing is that god can be found by you here's what they here's what they said matthew chapter 2 verse 9 after they heard from the king they went on their way and that's when the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was there's this profound paradox at the heart of the message of christianity that god is a mystery that god is not like you and i he is other the bible's word for that is that god is holy and and virtually every religion would say some version of that islam would say you know god is this holy god and jewish people would say god is a holy god and he's a mystery and 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 all, all all the religions deal with that mystery in different ways so if you're jewish um, the people of Israel, they wrestle with God. In fact, the word Israel means to wrestle with God. People who are Muslim, Islam, the word literally means to submit to God. You know, here's this mystery, and what you have to do with this great mystery is you have to wrestle with it. Or here's this great mystery, and what you have to do is you have to submit to it. But here's what, here's what Christianity says. It's the paradox at the heart of the Christmas message. It's not that you have to wrestle with God or not that you have to submit to God, though those things need to happen. Is That God who is a mystery can be found by you. God can be found by you. You can find God. And if you're if you're into the like you're into the stars or you're you're like listening to the universe, you're trying to get something, but you don't want you're not going to know that force in a personal way. But Christianity, the message of Christianity and the message of Christmas is that you can find God. In other words, there is a point to the journey. So they came to the house and they bowed down. And they worshiped. Christianity puts it in such very simple terms. God is this mystery. Well, how do I know God? And and the message of Christmas is God can be found. And Christianity makes it ordinary and plain. There's no hoops. There's no incantations. There's no right prayers. You do what the Magi did. You come to the house. You see the child. You bow down and you worship. So who can find God? Anyone. Everyone. You. Now, what's, how does the message of Christmas fulfill the human heart? Because the Magi, when they come and they finally find the child, the end of their journey, um, they bring these treasures. And you've heard this story, I'm sure, most of your life. They appeared with their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, understand, this entourage of people 
uh, we're not talking two gold coins and a, you know, a small vial of essential oil of frankincense and then, you know, like a little small vial of, of uh, incense of myrrh. We're not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about massive quantities. And very expensive. Go price, uh, not right now, but Google the price of myrrh. <laughs> Google the price of frankincense today. Still minerals and, and uh, spices you can find today. Very expensive. I mean, they're bringing this gift, the kind of gift that you would give to a king. And, and the gifts, uh, it, here's, here's the point. The gifts that they give to Jesus are illustrating what it is that Jesus is going to do. I, I know that when my wife and I, when we give someone a, a baby gift, we're trying to give them something cute. You know, they'll, they'll like that. We were walking through Target the other day, and m- my wife and my daughter and my wife walked past the baby clothes and held up a little baby thing and went, oh, and I'm like, not today, Satan. Um, <laughs> no, no, we're not, no, we're not doing that. Uh-uh. You know, we, we do that. <laughs> You know, we, we give gifts because they're cute for the baby. They gave a gift that illustrated the purpose of the baby's life. So they gave gold. That's the kind of gift that you give to a king. Um, it's, it's why you say, well, we don't have a king. Well, we want leaders. We want good leaders. We want to be well-led. It's why we spend so much money on presidential elections. It's why if your company is, is, if the CEO is turning over, you're wondering, what, what, who are they going to hire? Who, who's going to lead this? If you get a new boss, you're like, what kind of person is that new boss? If, if your kid's school gets a new principal, you want to know something about that principal. If a, if a church goes through a search for a pastor, you're like, what? You fill out a form that says, I think this is what we need in a pastor. I mean, we're, we're very concerned about the kind of leaders that we get because we know, we know intuitively that leadership matters and we want to be well-led. And, and so we want someone who's good at heart to lead us. And we want someone to rule with justice and with mercy and with wisdom. And the, and the Magi are giving gold to this baby saying, this is the true king. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And he is going to rule with justice and with mercy and with wisdom. And he does have a good heart and he is able to lead your life. If you need a good leader, this is, this is the one. And then they give, uh, they give frankincense, and, and there's a long history to frankincense in the Old Testament. Um, in fact, you could read Exodus 30 about how the temple was put together, and, and, and they said in, in a couple different places in Exodus 30, you're to, you're to go find a perfumer, and you're going to mix together all of these spices, one of which will be frankincense. And when you come into the, when you come into the temple to worship, you're going to smell this sweet, pleasing aroma that reminds you of what God can do in your life, the sweet, pleasing aroma that your life can be to God and the sweet, pleasing aroma that God can be to your life. You know, don't you, that uh, your, your smell is the greatest sense memory that you have? I was, uh, my son, middle son was coming home and he brought home his, he's 14, and he brought home his T-shirt from Jim. And I, I picked it up, and I was instantly transported to Jarrett Junior High in the seventh grade, and I was immediately in the locker rooms looking at my locker and the showers right over here in the corner. When Mary and Joseph, when they brought in these massive quantities of frankincense and of myrrh, what Mary and Joseph, who spent time in the temple, I promise you, what they would have done is they would have, oh, the temple, God's presence that's available to us. 
And so, again, it's a purpose. Like, this, this, this little baby, what he's going to do is he's going he's to show you what God can be in your life, the sweetness that God can be in your life. And then myrrh. Um, if you know the story of Jesus' crucifixion, um, on, when he's on the cross and he's in, in pain, they give him a mixture of wine and of myrrh. Uh, when when uh, his body is being embalmed, they bring this huge 75-pound mix of spices that included myrrh. And this is, again, the, the, the Magi are pointing to the purpose of his life. This, this priest who brings us to God, this great leader, is going to die for us on the cross for our sins. And, and you can smell it right here. <laughs> You, you and I want someone to lead us and rule us. You and I want someone to tell us what God is like. You and I want someone who's going to sacrificially offer their life for you. Listen, you don't have anybody. I'm just, the message of Christmas is that's Jesus. And at the end of your search is Jesus. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for the message of Christmas, for the message of these magi these seekers. Lord, uh, we know um, what it's like to search and to look. And so often in our day, we look for a temporary fix to a long-term heart problem. And we wonder why we're so dissatisfied. Lord, thank you for this uh, reminder from these wise men, these many men who realized that their search wasn't going to come from their current circumstances or their current way of seeing things or their current way of operating in the world. It's going to come from you. So Lord, would you put that in our hearts again? Some of us, we've been around this for a long time and and we need to be reminded of that again, that, that you're the end of the search. Some of us have never really heard this story and uh, we, we need to know that there is something at the end of the search. And I pray that this Christmas would be their moment to find out that you meet the needs of the human heart, that you're satisfying. So thank you for Christmas. Pray this in your name. All God's people said.